This is the Pep Talk, a podcast for people who suck at optimism. My name is Jade Lanier, and welcome to the first episode. To start things off, uh, the first segment is called The Little Things. The little things are the small, positive moments that make life better. One of these for me is that I recently moved, and I now live five minutes by walking from a grocery store, which means I don't eat survival food, you know, like corn jalapeno sandwiches when I have nothing else in my fridge anymore, because <laughs> I can just go and pick up deli food. It's kind of dangerous, though, because then that means the late-night ice cream runs are, you know, a thing that will happen, so taking it all in stride. <laughs> Uh, another one of my little things was for pie day, I made a s'mores pie to surprise my wife. She is a math nerd. She literally watches videos of people doing math on YouTube for fun. And that earlier that day, she'd asked me for chocolate. So I was like, s'mores pie, you know, chocolate plus pie day. You know, I'm going to be getting the brownie points here. And she literally walked in when I finished making um, the pie Greek letter, I guess, out of chocolate chips and toasting the marshmallows. And it was just the most amazing thing. I don't know, like, she walked in at just like the perfect moment. It had just come out of the broiler. The marshmallows were still gooey and everything. And I, I don't know, I just felt like... Like, God themselves wanted me to have that moment, and I just appreciated it. Another one was the other day, I got a text from my grandma because she was worried about me because I haven't called her in a while. So we talked on the phone, and it was just really nice to hear from her. I don't know. I just really appreciate that I have her in my life. This time on, sometimes the world doesn't suck. Content note about what you're about to hear. We are going to discuss a little bit about death, grief, organ donation, with mentions of vandalism and desecration of cemeteries. This sounds very daunting, but it's actually going to be still pretty uplifting. But if that's not for you, you can feel free to skip ahead. This interview you're about to hear is with one of my favorite people, Rita Jackson, who's like a second mother to me. We call her Mama Jackson or MJ. She's the mother of my best friend who is no longer with us. Her name was Jasmine Jackson. When Jasmine passed in 2013, she became an organ donor through an organization called Donate Life. And in Mama Jackson's grief, she has decided to make a positive change in the lives of others as part of her healing process by volunteering with that organization. MJ is constantly pushing the cause forward by doing public speaking, organizing events, awareness campaigns, and so much more. She and Jasmine were recently honored by the organization because of all of MJ's hard work with a picture of Jasmine on the annual Donate Life Rose Parade float. And I wanted to talk to her about her experience. She inspires me because I think it takes tremendous courage and strength to take lemons and make lemonade like this. And I wanted to highlight that fabulous accomplishment. I help her every year with the decorating for the float. And I'm always blown away by how much of herself she gives to this cause to make a difference in the lives of others. It makes me feel better to know that there are people like MJ in the world. It makes me feel like the world sucks a little bit less. Here's that conversation. Tell us a little bit about Jasmine, who is the reason for all this wonderful work. 
Wow, what to say about jazz? What not to say about jazz? Um, <laughs> I wish I would definitely. One thing as as her mom, I always I seriously still say it to this day that she's she's weird. <laughs> she's weird in my eyes because I'm kind of a straightforward type of person. My daughter was the total opposite, honestly. I mean, you know, quirky, eclectic, artistic. I hate to say it, but she took life by the balls and <laughs> didn't even, you know, didn't even hesitate. It's like, shoot, I'll, don't, I'll jump in both feet. Jazz had a pulmonary embolism and because of the logistics, wasn't able to do organ donation, but she did do tissue. How many people did she donate tissue to? The amount of people that she's already touched is 30. Wow. So I will be getting an updated list on her angelversary in April to see if there are more people. I love people. that angelversary. That's <laughs> such a great term. Yeah. So what yeah. was that transition like from the crazy just shitstorm of grief to I'm going to try and move forward? It definitely went from, I mean, an abyss of emotions. I mean, literally feeling like, you know, there is no tomorrow. I received a letter from a high school girl that was writing to thank me and my loved one because she was um, a track star and she had completely torn her ACL Mm -hmm. and she was told by her doctors that she probably, that they were hoping with surgery that she would be walking correctly, but that her um, track days were over. And she said, yes, yes. And she was writing to me at that time because it was her last year of high school. She was on the varsity track team and had gotten a scholarship for college. But after reading that letter and, and then realizing that there's other people out there that would have those uplifting stories, that was enough to keep me going. It was enough to give me the strength to look forward. And that's right. where it started. Meeting families of people who have become donors is kind of like meeting an actual family member because you have so much in common with them. But to meet a recipient just makes you feel that in some small way you have something to do with it. You helped that person to live. It's very rewarding and very comforting to have that. So in terms of getting Jasmine onto the float, Um, how did you do that magic? (laughs) Well, basically as an ambassador, you have that opportunity. You have to basically be active in the organization and putting yourself out there to talk with people, depending on what area of the organization you want to focus on. Because of all the involvement with the organization, basically I applied for my daughter to be on the float. Lo and behold, in September, I got the call, and she was chosen. What was that process like? You know, decorating the float, planning, all of that. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. What probably hits me the hardest is the fact that I cannot imagine, never in my life would I have imagined that Jasmine could make me more proud. I, I never could have imagined. She had accomplished so many things in her life and 
was working on so many projects mm -hmm. when she passed that as a mom, I couldn't, couldn't have been more proud. But here we are, you know, three and a half, almost four years later. And there she was on the float on January 2nd, being viewed by millions of people. <laughs> I couldn't contain myself. I just really wanted to embrace that moment and, and be able to hopefully show her that her mom still still making a difference and still pushing forward as I always did. So I truly appreciate that I was given the opportunity to be able to share my daughter with so many people through mm -hmm. the Rose Parade float. I think it's pretty obvious why Mama Jackson is so inspirational as someone who's, you know, taking such a tragic and, and trying experience and, and trying to transcend it. For anyone who's listening and is interested in becoming a donor or in Donate Life in general or Mama Jackson's work with Donate Life, I'm going to have some links in the description for you so that uh, if you would like to get involved or contribute in some way, then you, know, you can do that too. On theweek.com, there is an article about how Muslim American activists raised more than $20,000 in two hours to repair a vandalized Jewish cemetery. Uh, they did a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, this is in February. And the cemetery was in St. Louis. And the description said, Through this campaign, we hope to send a united message from the Jewish and Muslim communities that there is no place for this type of hate, desecration, and violence in America. The two activists were Linda Sarsour and Tarek El Misidi. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but I'm uh, trying. And I don't know. To me, it was just pretty inspiring that despite you know what's basically a hate crime, people still find it in their hearts to come together and to try to help people that you know, they don't get any kind of benefit from helping them. So, I don't know. I think that that helped me to feel like the world didn't suck quite as much. Another amazing uh, story that I have seen in the last little while is that the first black American will be boarding the International Space Station in May of 2018. Her name is Jeanette Epps. And she's going to be in space for six months. She actually didn't even realize that that was, you know, a thing. But she's realizing also at the same time that it means a lot to everyone in the community that, you know, she, she's a trailblazer now. <laughs> she is a former CIA technical intelligence officer from New York. And she's doing extremely rigorous preparation right now. Uh, she's learning how to spacewalk, how to do wilderness survival training in Russia. She spends up to six hours underwater with a heavy spacesuit on, trying to prepare herself for the conditions that she'll face in space. And she said that the thing that she's looking forward to the most is being able to look down at the Earth from the window and questioning, you know, at this point, whether or not it would change her perspective of life and her home in the United States. By the way, I found this story on positive.news. It's a publication online that is based out of the UK that is 
like excellent quality journalism, but it's focused on stuff that doesn't suck. So if you need that kind of information, you want that kind of information, they have all different kinds of things, lifestyle, science, economics, environment, everything. I really recommend you check it out because it's like my new favorite thing. And then for the last thing on Sometimes the World Doesn't Suck, I think we all need to give a collective slow clap to Melissa McCarthy because I just think that she's a national treasure. I mean, her as Spicy on SNL, it's like she needs a an Emmy, a Pulitzer, a Nobel Peace Prize. She needs something because I think that she really, really deserves a lot more credit than she even is getting now. She's fucking hysterical. <laughs> I love her. I've also been a casual fan of hers for a while. She is really thoughtful and just kind and obviously funny and just a very relatable Hollywood person. So yeah, slow clap for Melissa McCarthy. Thank you for your service to America and to this bullshit period of our country's life. This is the segment called Science Says. This is where we're going to talk about uh, scientific findings about happiness, positivity, well-being, wellness, mental health, mental illness, all those other things um, under that umbrella. Today I want to let you know about the content really quick. It's going to be a discussion of trauma, PTSD, and physical symptoms of trauma. So to start off, uh, the reason why I've looked into this as much as I have, <laughs> I am someone that has PTSD, and I also have a significant amount of physical and mental health issues associated with that. And I'm really interested in how I can recover from that, how I can heal and live a full life, you know, with, with great quality of life and everything. Um, and that led me to this book from Bessel van der Kolk, The Body Keeps the Score. The Body Keeps the Score comes down to the idea that both victimization and healing in response to trauma happen in the body. I'm someone that loves reading and learning and, and all these different ways of gaining information. And um, I have a lot of respect for traditional Western medicine. I'm someone that's always taken medication for my mental health symptoms and other issues, but I'm finding that that only goes so far for myself. And there's something deeper beyond beyond the basic. In the process of trying to figure this part of my life out, I've learned so much about how the body and the mind and the spirit are all so interconnected and you know when one issue is happening, then the other issue can flare up and they may not seem related, but they are. With Vanderkolk's research, he's a Dutch psychiatrist based in Boston, and he's pretty much, you know, the go-to expert for trauma and PTSD research and treatment methods. And um, he has delved really deep into so many people's lives. I mean, people that have people that have been traumatized by natural disasters or war or sexual assault or child abuse or you know combinations of things and you know, realizing that there's a lot of complexity that's not completely understood about what happens in response to these things happening to people's bodies and lives. 
And a couple of the major things that I found just super fascinating and helpful in terms of understanding trauma, understanding myself, and moving forward, one is just how traumatization happens. And the basic mechanism is that in the situation where you're in fight or flight, your nervous system gets overwhelmed and taps out. And that can damage the brain. It can encode you with the kinds of patterns in your brain that make you more likely to be hypervigilant or feeling combative or numb or dissociated because your body has surpassed its ability to handle what's in front of you and cope. I think that looking at it that way is helpful because it helps to put into frame that your body is doing what it can to protect you because it can't handle any more than what it has. Um, it may not be a great long-term strategy, but it is adaptive in some way or another. And then another one that was really super interesting to me is how powerlessness and support both play a role in whether or not you're traumatized or to what extent. So basically, someone that feels disempowered, like they cannot change whatever traumatic event is happening to them or around them or whatever, is much more likely to be traumatized than someone that can express their agency, change the situation, or reduce the harm. And another one of those is, you know, the support aspect. So if you have someone to turn to after you've just witnessed something horrific or experienced something terrible that will care for you, will help you to figure out what's next, that, you know, is going to comfort you and all those things, it's much less likely to become a traumatic experience than if you have to deal with that on your own. Just to illustrate this a little bit, you know, a kid that's able to run out of a burning building into the arms of their mother who is going to take care of them and tell them that it's okay and help them to cope with the experience is going to be much less likely to be traumatized than a child that is, you know, trapped in that same burning building and can't do anything to get out of it until, um, you know, someone else maybe comes to get them at, you know, after it's become much more scary than it was in the beginning especially if no one's waiting for them on the other side. So with that in mind, I think for me personally learning those things, it's super helpful to think about in the sense of if I've experienced traumatization, how do I reestablish that support that I maybe didn't have in that moment, but I could access now? And how can I express my agency in terms of not being overwhelmed by like the hopelessness that maybe you feel as a residual sort of mentality, I would call it, after feeling hopelessness in some of these really um, difficult situations. So I think that, you know, those two right there are like gems in and of themselves, <laughs> but there are so many in this book Dr. Vanderkolk goes into so many different nuances and statistics and studies and anecdotes and just amazing depth of everything. And it's very also, it's also very accessible. It's not, it's not a terrible read. 
I just want to touch on the fact that he also talks about a lot of different types of healing, including yoga, meditation, EMDR, talk therapy, writing, theater, and a lot of other things that I had never heard of until reading this book. And I think that his point in all of this is that listening to your body, engaging with the world through your body can allow you to feel and engage with the world again. Because when you become traumatized, you feel disconnected from other people. You feel disconnected from your personal agency. Um, You feel disconnected from your body. And so reclaiming those things can, can empower us to live fuller, happier, healthier lives, regardless of what exactly, you know, your experience is in life. So a couple of little action steps so that we don't just have an emotional truth bomb like that. (laughs) Nothing you can do about it. First of all, let's just like take a little moment to check in with our bodies. Ask yourself, are you hungry? Do you need a glass of water? Are you feeling something that you don't really know how to put your finger on? Do you ache somewhere? Are you tired? Are you overstimulated? Is your pulse fast or slow? Is your throat tensed up? Is your stomach calm? Just feeling your body in the chair or wherever it is you are. It's a helpful practice to Ask yourself when you're having a rough day. That's something that I do is like when I'm not feeling well, I'm like, okay, let's go through the list. <laughs> am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I? <laughs> like that whole thing. Because um, you'd be surprised, you know, if you really take stock of it, how many times in a day it's something like that and not necessarily like that person is actually being a dickhead. It's probably just, you know. I need to go to the bathroom or something. I don't know. Whatever. Another strategy, maybe for the long term, thinking about um, our bodies and engaging with the world. And I would just say, really contemplate the question of how you can enjoy being in your body more. Like, enjoying sensuality in terms of smells or physical contact, if that's something that you like, or you know, maybe doing yoga or dancing or performing. Maybe you just need to relax and let your body tell you what it wants you to know so that the healing can begin. So I hope that that was informative and helpful. And just a reminder, this book is called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. It has a blue cover with a painting on it. And it is absolutely amazing if you're into psychology and science and stuff like me. Pick-me-ups! Small things you can do or try or watch to get a little boost if you need one. So my wife and I joke that she's the dad and I'm the mom despite me being butch and her being femme. And this is like a hundred percent personality pretty much. And one of the ways that my wife, Claudia, exhibits her daddishness is through dad jokes. She gets a really big kick out of that kind of thing, and I just try not to roll my eyes. I mean, sometimes they're funny, but, you know, I just 
you know, I'm trying to be that supportive spouse and whatnot. Like, uh huh, of course, babe. Anyway, <laughs> so for anyone who enjoys dad jokes, uh, I have a website for you that you're gonna like. It's called niceonedad.com. So nice one spelled out O N E dad.com. And you just go on the website. I am on it right now. Why isn't it working? So you click into the site and it shows you the first line and it says right now, why don't skeletons ever go trick or treating? And then click. Because they have no body to go with. What did the grape do when he got stepped on? He let out a little whine. What do you call an Argent Ar Ar Argentinian? <laughs> what is my problem? Okay. What do you call an Argentinian? Argentinian <laughs> I can't say that word. <laughs> what do you call an Argentinian with a rubber toe? Roberto. Roberto? What do you call a deer with no eyes? No idea. Oh my god, that is so terrible. Who who makes these? Where do you learn to make ice cream? Sunday school. Um oh my god. Okay, I have to stop. This is this is too much. Too much. Okay. Anyway, for those that like that kind of thing, uh niceonedad.com. For another pick-me-up is something that I invented in high school. I think I invented it because, like, it's still not really a thing, but I think it should be. It's breakfast popsicles. Okay, so I know that having a morning routine is super in vogue right now, and I'm, I kind of wish that I was the type of person that wanted to drink, like, warm lemon water and, like, meditate for 45 minutes and shit, but, like, I just don't. I like to get up 15 minutes before I need to leave, grab my breakfast, and leave. <laughs> Sometimes I don't even look in the mirror in the morning because I'm like, I'll figure it out later. Like, it's just, I mean, I enjoy the morning, but only at my leisure. If I have to be somewhere, it's like, I'm not trying to spend 20 minutes to make breakfast or whatever. So anyway, in high school, I had this issue as well because, you know, I'd be getting up at like 6, 6, 6.30, whatever, to make it out of the door by 7 to catch the bus by like 7.05 or something like that. And so I was like, you know what I can do? And sleep in 15 extra minutes if I make my breakfast on Sunday night and then I don't have to do anything else. So what I ended up doing was I took yogurt and cereal and almonds and berries and I would layer all of that in a plastic cup and I would make a breakfast popsicle because I'm the type of person that just cannot not eat breakfast. It's just not, it's just not a thing that's going to happen. I would grab one from the freezer on the way out the door to catch my bus, and then I would eat it while I was on the bus. And then there's like not really a mess. I didn't have to do anything in the morning. And I got to sleep 20 extra minutes. You're welcome. I hope you try it. I hope it makes you happier in the morning for those people that are not, you know, morning routine, get up an hour early type of people. For my second to last pick me up, I have discovered something that <laughs> I hope y'all don't judge me for, but it's like kind of weird. It's called, quote unquote, highly satisfying or oddly satisfying YouTube videos. So if you search that on YouTube, one of those, 
you'll find really long, weird videos <laughs> that are things like paint being mixed, candy being made inside of locks while a key is being turned, jello bouncing on a mirror, like just all kinds of strange things that have some sort of like sensory satisfaction to them. Like watching dominoes fall or like, I don't know, just it's a bunch of shit like that. And I always put them on mute because they have terrible music, but I find them very calming. There's something like really satisfying to my brain about them <laughs> because it allows me to like focus my attention on something, but in a relaxed way. I don't know how to explain it, but like, I don't know. I'll just include a link to a playlist of them and you can see for yourself if I'm you know, strange or not. I think it's a thing because some of these have been watched millions of times, but I just enjoy them. Like, paint being mixed is so cool. Anyway, the last one is uh, the Struggle Bus podcast. So I recently discovered them and I think that they are lovely and they have a podcast that has very similar content to mine, but just more so on the advice end, because I don't do advice. I don't think I would do that anyway. We'll see. Um, but they do advice, and they're very smart, funny, feminist, great people. So if you're looking for more mental health-related content, I recommend them. Their icon is yellow, and it has a little bus that's swerving. And yeah, so check them out. This was the pick-me-ups. Alright, so this is the pep talk section of the podcast. I was reflecting on some mistakes I made in recent times and things that happened because of those mistakes, and I realized something. So I'm not for weight loss, and I'm not, and this isn't about weight loss, but I'm going to use a weight loss metaphor, so just like track with me here on this one. Any person that's ever wanted to lose weight has had, at some point, an extra pair of jeans hanging in their closet that they don't fit into, but they want to at some point. The conventional wisdom is like, don't put your life on hold until you accomplish some, such and such. Don't hold on to stuff that doesn't work for you, that, you know, it doesn't work for you now. And I knew that in my mind with this particular metaphoric pair of jeans. It's not a literal pair of jeans. It's more like a situation, if you know what I'm saying. But I had a hard time letting go of that metaphoric pair of jeans because they represented who I wanted to be, the fears I had about who I really was. And I thought I would feel really secure if I could possibly wear them, even if they didn't fit. And, you know, metaphoric pairs of jeans aren't quite like real pairs of jeans because sometimes the metaphoric ones leave your life. And without those pairs of jeans, sometimes you have to question, who am I without those jeans? Why did I sacrifice myself for the sake of something that never served me? And even just realizing that they never fit in the first place. <laughs> That said, I think that we all have pants that don't fit us hanging in our closets. And as we take a better look at them, we can learn more of our hopes and fears and decide if the price of authenticity is worth paying. I think it always is.
The size you wear today is the right one. All right, dear listeners, that was the end of the first episode. Woo! Please rate and review the pep talk on iTunes. It really helps the show. If you're interested in advertising with us or you'd like to otherwise contact us, please do so at thepeptalkpodcast at gmail.com. All the links from today, including pick-me-ups, Mama Jackson, and everything else will be in the show notes and on the website. If you'd like a transcript of the show, you can find it on thepeptalkpodcast.com. Please subscribe to The Pep Talk wherever you are listening to this so you can get the notification when the next episode comes out next month. Follow The Pep Talk on Instagram and Facebook at the Pep Talk Podcast and on Twitter at the Pep Talk Pod. Our website is thepeptalkpodcast.com. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by me, Jade Lanier. Try Takian composed our theme music. Friendly reminder that getting your shit together is a continuous process and that success is a moving target. Be kind to yourself in the meantime. This was the Pep Talk. Talk to you later. <laughs>